and welcome to episode number 174 of the Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. My name is Andy Warren, standing in as host for Mark Heath this week, and I'm joined by a man who may well make the most exquisite chocolate brownies in the East, Stuart Watson. How are you? Uh, yeah, good, thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed those. Oh, absolutely. At half time in this uh, wonderful game against Shrewsbury that we're going to be talking about in a minute, Stuart Watson produced a little tin foil, little tin foil parcel of some chocolate brownies that he'd made and uh, had brought along to the game. I believe they've become a, a Watson family staple over over the coronavirus lockdown period. But um, I was invited into the family and absolutely brilliant, Stu. It was the, the best moment of the weekend by far. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> and of course, we are also joined by a man who I can see is now a little bit jealous that he didn't get a chocolate brownie. It's the love, the lover of sugar, uh, Ross Halls. You right? I, I was until that just been announced. I'm a bit sad now. I was I just had squashies sweets eat to eat at half time. Um, but yeah, I'm all good. Good to be back. Good to see your faces and talk to you about Itchish Town. So yeah. What are squashies? Um sweets, drumsticks. Oh, and, and, and you've got some on the go now as well. Yeah, I'm gonna have one right now. There we go. Fill up there, these. Okay, that's so they're basically drumstick lollies, but not yeah, yeah. Not, not, not on a stick. Much stick, more practical. Basically. Yeah. And that Okay, and that was your halftime treat during uh, after what was a pretty miserable first forty-five minutes of of football at Portman Road at the weekend. That's what we're here to talk about. Of course, it didn't get too much better after halftime, but remarkably, during those forty-five minutes, Ipswich Town found a way. And um, we're here discussing a game in which Town won the game in the ninety-seventh minute, which, in normal times, would probably have had a very excitable Mark Heath beginning this podcast about a dramatic game of football at the weekend that resulted in three points. But this one, this one feels a little bit different, Stu. This isn't your normal 97th minute pandemonium winner, is it? There's a, there's, there's undertones here. Yeah. I think the lack of a crowd did probably have a big bearing on how I felt about it and probably how everyone felt about it watching from home without that sort of, explosion of emotion right at the end of the game I think it would have felt more like a win and I've used I used that phrase on Twitter over the weekend a win that didn't really feel like a win and I had a few people kind of say what a ridiculous thing to say any win feels like a win but what I meant by that is that the nature of the performance was was very underwhelming it never felt like it was a push, push, push for a winner type situation. Then you didn't have the fans in the crowd. It it felt a bit odd. In the oddest of seasons, I can't really describe it much more than that. Of course, it could be a massive three points. And we might look back on it as saying that, you know, it's a sign of a good side that can find a way to win when they're not at their best. But it wasn't great, was it? Let's be honest. No, it, it, it wasn't. And... um Ross, if we we just talk through the game quickly, it was it, it took four minutes for Ipswich to go behind in this. Penalties have been a theme of late. Uh, I believe Jeff Stelling announced on Sky Sports that it was Toto that had given it away, with his reputation maybe sadly preceding him a little bit there. But it was Mark McGuinness. And um, from that point on, 
it all seemed like it was going to add up to being a really difficult day for Ipswich, didn't it? Yeah, uh, it was, oh, you know, I think any any team to go behind at home early on is always going to be a struggle. And there was just nothing in the first half. It's probably the worst first half I've seen this season for town. I just was just shaking my head the whole half, just like, what is going on? Like, why aren't we, you know, pr- you know, providing anything? You know, not not many chances created, and. I just I turned to the, the other photographer next to me and I just went, well that was uh, that was not good, was it? <laughs> so yeah, try not to swear there. Why well, well done me? Um, but yeah, just just added to the misery of the the game. After the game, um, I think Paul Lambert and and Jack Lancaster, who I spoke to, talked about Shrewsbury putting men behind the ball after after that opening goal. Did did you feel like that, Stu? I'm not sure I necessarily necessarily felt like this was a traditional get one nil up park the bus kind of job from from them I didn't think they were they were hugely hugely positive but I didn't think they were intentionally trying to sort of settle in and necessarily try and frustrate Ipswich from from that point on no I think the um Paul's post-match comments kind of rather overstated I think like you say, that sort of it was made out to be. Well, they had a, a five-four-one, got their early penalty, parked the bus. It's, it's hard to break those sort of teams down. They were organised. They, as is their, as is their right. They're a team that are battling relegation this season. They got an early goal away from home, and and they, they were organised. But it, it, the, the whole sort of parking the bus narrative makes it sound like Ipswich were when Paul talked about sort of we kept knocking and knocking and we got our rewards, that's the disappointing thing is it didn't feel like that. There was, it wasn't like wave after wave of attack and, you know, they were throwing in desperate blocks and the goalkeepers making loads of saves. And finally the breakthrough comes at the end that's deserved. It, it didn't feel like that. And they, it, things weren't happening on the ball for Ipswich and there was, there wasn't a great deal of creative spark and invention and, that's fine. You have days like that, but the the thing that worried me most about this was the lack of. I don't quite know what the right description is. Passion, uh, aggression, fight. People go. You can't say there was no fight because they stuck to the task and they found a way to win. But it just didn't feel like you had to kind of be in the stadium. There wasn't really an energy about the team, was there? There wasn't. You know, wasn't someone who went and made a, a tackle that lifted everyone else. It wasn't just. Everyone was quiet as well. Even Luke Chambers was, was I thought, quiet by his usual standards. It just didn't feel like there was any spark or life about Ipswich. Even when they were handed a lifeline, when that, that own goal went in, he still had a good 10, 15 minutes to go. And there was a break in play and the body language just looked a little flat. There wasn't anyone geeing each other up. There wasn't... I don't know. It just never felt like that goal was coming. And then when that when that goal did come at the end, I think we all kind of laughed a little bit because it was like, how on earth have Ipswich managed to to win that game? That that's how it felt. Yeah, it it's hard to describe, isn't it? But it 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 did. All these games feel flat in empty stadiums. They they don't. They're not the same. There's something missing, and the heart of it is missing. But this one did just even from the from the warm up onwards felt particularly flat to me. And I, I guess Ipswich have got a little bit of a history of this of coming out flat after after long breaks 
from action. We've seen that before, haven't we? Um, a bit of this long break was was kind of due to the game that wasn't played last weekend, and then some of it was also due to the amount of players that had been rested from from other games. Did did, did you guys think that that was that could maybe have been an issue towards it. I think that was another reason why I felt so disappointed by it, that they had such a pre-planned and, and long kind of run-up to this game, that they'd been looking to this match for the best part of three weeks. What do you reckon, Ross? Yeah, I think any pause in a in your fixture, I think, is always going to be, definitely in these current times as well, um, I'm sure the training is still very different to what it is in normal times because there's still a lot of, you know, testing has to be placed and all that jazz. So, um, and of course, we've got a lot of injuries, so I'm sure that, you know, there's not as many people training at once at the moment. Um, and, you know, I think for anybody, I know we can't, fans can't go to games at the moment, but you still miss that Saturday feeling of a match day. You know, last Saturday, you know, you boys must have felt that like, Oh, normally I'm, you know, travelling up to a game or whatever, but it just felt nothing, you know, something was missing. And then, yeah, I agree with you, um, Hutchie, going into the, you know, the game, you know, during the warm-ups. Like, great playlist. The club have got a good playlist going on, some good bangers going on. Um, even at half-time, you know, Dr. Dre played, you know, when the half-time whistle went, I went, yes. What, what <laughs> for, about 12, for about 12 seconds. Yeah, 12 and seconds. Then, and then but... someone cut it off. Yeah, and I was like, what? Um, but yeah, it just felt very flat. Like the most vocal person on that pitch was the the Alino, my Alino, my side, because he was. <laughs> I, I was really, I was just focusing on him for like a good five minutes because he was just so vocal. Like every time he was going up at that field, talking to the ref and saying to the the, the throw in, saying, "Oh, here lads, here, 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 here." And he was going Pierre, Pierre, because sorry, the player was called Pierre or whatever. And it was just like, just yeah, them sort of things you hear, but. Was it, I mean, your pitch side, Ross, mm-hmm. it felt quieter than usual to us up high in, in the stands. Did, was that the same pitch side? Yeah, um, as you said, Chambers wasn't as vocal as he normally would be. Um, and just, yeah, no one really stood out. Like, even Jack's not the most vocal person, but you'd still think he will be frustrated that he's not getting the, the balls to him and stuff. But, you know, even Shrewsbury, though, they weren't really vocal at all, really. Um, like Lambert, Lambert wasn't vocal. I didn't hear Lambert that much at all. Um, even Stuart Taylor. So I was thinking, is this like a training game, or you know, what is this game really? And mm. um, I was very deflated, as you know. I, I mean, you know, I'm still a big town fan. So like late winner, of course, you love late winners. You know, I'm sure the players would have been jumping into the crowd because they're scoring late. Well, definitely because it's a local lad scoring. But I just felt, as you guys like laughed, I just went how have we just won this game? Like, I thought we were going about to lose this game and now we've won it. And I just was just like, oh, go and, as Jeff Denning would say, unbelievable, Jeff. Well, no, Chris, yeah, Cammy would say, unbelievable. Just like, just couldn't believe, I just couldn't believe my eyes. We've just basically robbed all three points. There's such a contrast, isn't there, between, I think the obvious one to think back to is the, the win over AFC Wimbledon last August when... Ipswich were one one down at the break, and then and then late goals from Norwood, and then Jackson won that game. Um, the contrast to this one was ma- was massive, wasn't it? Because in that Wimbledon game, Ipswich really were knocking on the door. They were pushing. There was intensity, some pace, and then Jackson's winner was a roar. I haven't heard since or prior for quite some time at Portman Road. I've watched that goal back loads of times. It gets posted on Twitter all the time. The raw from that is kind of an example of what's missing from 
football at the moment. And it's also what was what was missing from this game in in so many ways. But why why do we think that was? Why what was going wrong for Ipswich out on that pitch at throughout the throughout this game really? What 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 was the problem? Um I think perhaps a little bit of imbalance in the team, some of which couldn't be helped because of injuries. I think certainly without Guion Edwards, the lack of, <laughs> sorry, Russ. Yeah. The, the lack of sort of dynamism and, and pace and direct running down, down the flanks was, was evident. I think with, with Sears and judge out wide, they're both a bit one paced. They're both sort of workman like both probably do their better work drifting inside rather than sort of, taking on a man one-on-one do you do when either of them have got the ball at their feet do you ever believe that they're gonna produce a trick or a turn of a turn of acceleration and go past someone I don't think so uh, and, and in these sort of games when we're talking about finding a way to break down stubborn opposition that's when you need a bit of x-factor from those wide positions in a 4-3-3 and I don't think either of them produced that um Jackson he's a willing runner he can move people around up front but by his own admission a lone striker is not his best position so there's another one there so we've talked about Jackson's probably not a lone striker Edwards and Judge uh sorry Judge and Sears aren't out and out wingers then Lancaster's played most of his football wide certainly at a senior level, he's playing central midfield at the moment. Then you've got Chambers, as good as he's been this season, out of position at right back. And I just think when you start to go through multiple players not playing in their best position, that probably didn't help. Um, but putting all that to one side, there was just too many players that were below par, just making unforced errors, just not at it. And when you haven't got, when you have more than two, three, four players that are kind of dropping below a into four fives out of 10 territory, then that's just not a good recipe, is it? Yeah. For me, it was the lack of, of anybody really taking this game by the scruff of the neck and, and, and driving the team on and leading by example. That was, that was the worry for me. And the, and the worry for me in general is the, is the wide areas. And we talked about Sears and judge there as, as the two in this game, but in general, this, for this system that they're playing to work, it needs it needs that real real threat from wide. Otherwise, if you don't have that, you're going to crowd the middle of the pitch as well. Which which means someone like Lancaster, who's playing as the number ten, is going to be crowded out. And Jackson too is going to be is going to be crowded out. So so that's the worry from me. Um, I think on I, the wide on the wide issue. Sorry to jump in. I think that's fine with with those sort of inverted wingers that are drifting inside if you've got fullbacks bombing on on the overlap and ward and chambers were doing that uh towards the start of the season but i thought both of them were a little bit uh, safer below par they didn't have bad games but they didn't they didn't stand out either did they they didn't really sort of add in an attacking sense as well so i think when you combine the sort of the fullbacks not not doing it as well as the as the wingers um that wasn't a good combo mm, i think i think there was a lack of um the the defense didn't inspire me particularly at the weekend at all i think the two the two center halves had their had their struggles obviously McGuinness gave away a penalty and and each of the two center backs could could have given away another couldn't they ross 
Yeah. Was that the first time they played together, Mark and Toto? No, they played at um, oh, played at Sunderland okay. together. Yeah, I was I was in shock for the Toto one. What went out for a corner? I thought, how has that not been given? Like we've been given, or opposite teams have been given softer penalties than that. And I was just thinking, wow, you know, this referee's got different minds to decide which penalty was penalty. I did actually see Mark McGuinness's penalty from first viewing because I was in a different view. So I just sort of went and went. Well, he's given it, so it must be a penalty. And then I watched it back and went, yeah, that is. Um, but yeah, I felt a bit on edge with them too, really. Um, Mark McGuinness is still young. I'm sure he'll go on and have a good career. Um, but maybe they didn't. Maybe together they're not so great. So, yeah. I, I, I like know. Mark McGuinness. I think he's shown yeah. that he's got attributes to, to be a success in the game. But it comes back to the debate we had when he arrived that he's a young player with raw edges why you're developing somebody else's player and if he's not ready to make if he's not going to be head and shoulders above what you've got then then why are you doing it uh, you know they've got a young player in Corey and Darba that you could be allowing him to make those sort of mistakes and developing him at the moment uh, that that would be the debate there so um Shrewsbury didn't offer a, a huge amount in terms of the way they played but Whenever they just dropped the ball in behind the back four of Ipswich, I thought they looked a bit bit edgy, a bit panicky. McGuinness gave, that was a stonewall penalty. I thought the second one from McGuinness not long afterwards could easily have been a penalty as well. Maybe gets away with it because Pew's semi on his way down. Um, I think if the referee doesn't give, the, if the first one doesn't happen, I think referees are always sort of mindful of giving two penalties, certainly to an away team within the opening, what would that have been, 15 minutes or so? Something like that, yeah. And, and then we discussed the Toto one sort of late on. Was that when Brett, Brett slipped where a ball got sort of played behind him and, and the ball came into the box and that was a sort of a desperate last-ditch lunge from Toto that he maybe gets away with as well. I think in fairness we have to say that Ipswich probably could have had a penalty themselves when there was a two-handed push in Toto's back at a corner, but um, there can't be any complaints uh, in terms of sort of uh, refereeing luck going against them on this occasion, that's for sure. No. Uh, one complaint where there would be some some bad luck is the injury front. Go, going into this game, uh, Mr Lambert was talking about two injuries, mystery injuries that weren't, weren't going to be available. Um, they turned out to be Guion, Edwards, Ollie Hawkins, and also James James Wilson, who's out for a couple of weeks as well. And then two more in the game, which leaves stock incredibly low in a in a really, really big position of the field, doesn't it, guys? Yeah, definitely. And well, you know, like Teddy Bishop, he's had all of his injury problems and when he went down originally he went down, you know, and he he got back up and played for the rest of the game, or not rest of the game, rest, you know rest of the first half and then he must not have felt good because he came he, he played played on for the second half didn't he um, and he must have just felt it was still not good but when you see players like him who've got injury problems Teddy Bishop Hughes you just go oh you just feel on edge like oh is this going to be a bad one and you know we are just cursed with injuries and you know was there any reason why there were mystery injuries Lambert just didn't want to sort of yeah, I yeah. think man managers are always reluctant to show yeah. their, their hand to the opposition going in, into a game, um, which is which is understandable. But um, 
Yeah, T- Teddy, I think hindsight's a wonderful thing. He should have been coming off at half time. I think it was yeah. it was clear that he was not moving particularly well. He kind of tried to twist his way out of danger in a deep position. He'd come in for some pretty rough attention from Shrewsbury. He's been targeted. They're not the first team to target him in as Ipswich's danger man. And I, I didn't think he got a huge amount of protection from the referee. But he, yeah, he's just twisted out of danger. And I think inadvertently the guy's trod on the back of his his foot or his ankle but he'd gone beyond that sort of five minute run it off period and still wasn't moving particularly well and he's obviously said at half time give me another five minutes as all players do maybe maybe that should have been taken out of his hands and taken off because he came out at the start of the second half and within seconds of the uh the kickoff we looked at him and he just was hobbling mm-hmm. couldn't move properly and, and that robbed it switch of a another window for a substitution actually because even though you can make five subs now you can only you can still only have three windows within the game to to make them um plus extra plus, plus half time as well so um that did it switch out of a uh, a potential window for a mm. substitution that it's an, an an ankle injury for him which by the sounds of things is fairly fairly serious was that was that the words used by used by Lambert so I don't know what we're what we that that says to me months Rather than looks rather a bad than weeks. one. Looks a bad one was the phrase that Paul Lambert used afterwards, who looked pretty downbeat talking about the injuries, as you can imagine. Guion is a, a hamstring in training. Hamstrings normally are mm. a, depends whether it's a, a pull, a tear, what grade it is, but that I would imagine that's a, a couple of weeks normally for a hamstring at, at the best end of yeah. the, the scale. Um, John Nolan's gone off with, with a groin problem. He seems to have had various muscle injuries on and off. I can think of uh, calf seemed to plague him for yeah. quite some time as well. So we've gone from having, talking about central midfield being the most ridiculously overstocked position in the squad going down to bare bones. I mean, who would have thought that Ipswich would have been finishing a game with McGavin, Lancaster and Hughes as their central midfield three, uh, you know, not that long ago it's um it's crazy so um it's just as well they didn't let McGavin go out on on loan um before the window shut because they'd be struggling now certainly would be we'll get maybe a few uh, a few thoughts from from the KOA army in a moment but just before we wrap up this uh this section and then move on to to Lambert's comments after the game um do we need to do we need to make the argument here that that actually winning this game is the sign of, and I don't say this with particularly much glee, of a of a good team. Does that c- can we make that argument here, just to round up this, or 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 are the concerns that came out of it greater than the greater than the positive of the result, or indeed will we not know the answer to that question until this time next week? Yeah, I think these next two games will will answer that question better but at the moment the con- the concerns from this game out- outweigh the the result um had it been like you say that AFC Wimbledon game where you're <clears throat> okay you've 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 gone behind there's a bit of adversity there's a team parking the bus but you find a way and there was there was pressure and you pressure 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 and you finally found the breakthrough it didn't feel like that it just felt like a really poor performance and it did feel like a, a result that that papered over some cracks and I think added to the fact that it, it wasn't just a one-off. I think you, you're now looking at the last eight games. There's been 
uh, three wins in there from eight in all competitions. And those wins have been the 1-0 win against Crewe at home, where they massively rode their luck in, in that game for large periods. The Gillingham game, which uh, I, I missed that one, but... Um, I'm, I mean, what... what it's, well, What's now the... you now now you're testing me. The, the, this is this is where you begin to realise that these are blending into one because I could. As Teddy, but... Teddy's last late goal yeah. wasn't Teddy Bishop, so yeah, which didn't feel like it was from memory. It didn't necessarily feel like it was going to come, but it was a really good goal when it did. Mm. And then this one at the weekend. So you could say that there's been three three wins from eight games, and all three of those victories you could probably label with the unconvincing tag. And I know. On the flip side, you could say that some of the games they didn't win, they perhaps deserved more from. But I wouldn't go too overboard on that. I just, it's it's in context of what happened last season, isn't it? And I think it's, I think Lambert, the players, everybody are probably looking at it, going, "We're third in the table. We've won. We've played six at home. We've won six at home. What more do you want from us?" They're probably, maybe they are looking at the reaction to some of these games and scratching their heads, but surely they have to, some of these players have been around a while, surely they realise that the fan base, everybody needs a lot more convincing because of the collapse of last season, because it's set against the backdrop of the relegation before that, false dawns going even, you know, a lot of this is deep, deep rooted, isn't it? With with so many false dawns, so many disappointments that I think there is a natural pessimism and cynicism in built in amongst all of us at, at the moment. And it's hard to shake that off. And it's going to take a lot, lot more than what we've seen so far to uh, to change people's minds, mm. I think. We'll move on. We'll move on to Lambert's, uh, Lambert's thoughts in just a few seconds. But Stu, I believe you've got some thoughts of uh, of some listeners as well that are probably gonna. I'm gonna fill well because I can see you're looking for the screen where you get them from. Oh, so I'm gonna. So I'm, I think they might echo uh, a lot of what of what you've just you've just said there. Yeah, um, I'll take on the Mark Heath role, shall I, for today? Um, Glory. We'll share up. it round. We're yeah, all sharing it round, aren't we? We're filling the team. The team is stepping up to cover. Uh, Glory Day's artwork says uh, I'm concerned about the mentality of the players. Um, Stu mentioned after our equaliser that none of the ITF, ITFC players were geeing their teammates on for a final push. I couldn't help but notice the constant fouls on Bishop and again, not one ITFC player getting in the ref's ear. Basic stuff. Arthur Pickthorn, crying out for more pace and dynamism. We are too easy to play against at the moment. Norwood and Bennett should be starting to give opposition defence more to deal with. Plus, Norwood is a leader on the pitch. Uh, John Watson, we were so poor on Saturday, awful. The type of response on Tuesday is huge. The next two games are colossal. Importantly, what is Paul Lambert playing at with poor man management and weird comments? I'm losing belief and patience with nay normal Paul. We should and must be better, please. A few more comments along the lines of of those, really. Paul Cook's name being mentioned a few times. I know there's always been a kind of a questioning and a questioning of Lambert bubbling under the surface, hasn't there, for some time? But this is kind of the first little junction where I've seen more people talking about that. Certainly, now names of other candidates that might be available seem to be kind of being shared more. That says to me that we're getting into that kind of spell of the season where 
managers in general are coming under pressure and um i guess that's the case for paul lambert as well mm. well it, sh- it sure is that's probably one for a bit further down the line in, in greater depth maybe but let's go to to what john watson was saying there about lambert's about lambert's comments and and this one was another another i think you the, the expression you've used Stu, is another questionable assessment of of the game but ross we'll go we'll go to you what did you um what did you make of firstly Lambert's assessment of the game and then we'll maybe move on to a, a chat about specific comments regarding Brett McGavin. Oh, we've been here before, haven't we? Um, him saying good performance, you know, we rode our luck at times, but we, you know, got the job done. Uh, sometimes I think, is he watching a different game to us? I know he's got a different glasses on, he's the manager, so he has to, you know, be, he has to look at the game a bit differently to maybe me. Um, you know, just, <laughs> he certainly does. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's getting paid to, you know, um, manage this team, and you know, yeah. But uh, I don't know. He's not normal, is he? You know, I've, you know, I think he's just got to be. He's got to keep positive, and he? he can't. You know, he would never. I don't know if he's that sort of manager that he will. We'll go on to the Brett McGavin comments in a minute, but will he ever go out and say, "Yeah, we were not good today"? You know, we need to improvement. If not, yeah, I'm gone. I don't know. Mm. There's, there's a comment here, just going back to some of the comments where um, this is from Sindre Eliasson, who says, I'm curious to know what Paul Lambert says internally, if it reflects what he says in the media or if it's completely different. I hope it's the latter. And there's a few comments along those lines, really. Um, Harvey Davis, uh, sick of listening to Lambert now. I've persevered but lost patience. Failing that, I'd have... Nigel Adkins, Danny Cowley would see Adkins doing well. So there's a few along those themes. Paul Cook's name gets mentioned as well. But a lot of people just saying that the, the comments of, of Lambert is is really sort of adding to their to their apathy as well as, well as the sort of the performances, really. So um, managers are always going to kind of speak differently publicly than they do internally. But I do think that the this was always a debate around Mick McCarthy that his words in the press got over, over picked through and over analysed. And, you know, media duties is just one part of their small part of their job and shouldn't be what they're judged and analysed on. It's what, you know, it's what they do with players. But I do think the way they deal with press conferences is a reasonable indication of, you know, if, if they're failing to inspire the wider public via their press conferences, then that surely is a reasonable indication of how inspiring they are behind the scenes with their yep. players. And um, I don't know, I, this whole kind of we're, we're, we're playing incredible football, we're dominating games. I know there's no fans in the stadium, but you've still got 3,000 odd people watching via their laptops at home. And I, I think you can fall into a trap of treating people like idiots if you if you're not careful they know we're not we're not professional footballers managers we haven't been in the game but i think we know what's good and what's not to a degree and you, people are getting a little bit fed up of of that now and that was an easy that was an easy one to deal with post match on saturday we were nowhere near our best today we know we've got to be better than that but we found a way to win and that's a sign of a good side and put all the emphasis on, on those sort of things. Um, but he just seemed to get embroiled in a bit of a, a strange 
tit for tat with with Brenna Woolley from BBC Suffolk, which kind of started with, um, you know, wish you weren't so negative about the performance, and then turned into a, a sort of a strange, a few strange comments about Brett McGavin. Yeah, let's let's move on to those. I'll just read out what what Paul Lambert said about Brett McGavin for those that may not have seen it. Was a it was a pretty simple question, wasn't it? You you must think that McGavin justified his selection. Um, in that position ahead of Andre Dazel. That was essentially the question. And, and Lambert replied, he must be a favourite of yours, that's to Brenner, because you wax lyrical about him all the time. My standard is maybe a little bit different from yours. There were some good things in there and there were some things that he's got to get 100 times better with. The kid came in and done a good game. He's got big shoes to fill. He's got a really good range of passing and I think he's better than what he showed today. But that's what we've got in that position at that moment behind behind Dazel. The, the phrase that jumps off the page there is, but that's what we've got. That would that would be the bit that would be the the punch to the stomach to me if I was Brett McGavin. Um, let's not get it wrong. I don't think he was outstanding. I don't think he was anywhere near as good as he was against Portsmouth in the cup game, which was when we were waxing lyrical mm-hmm. about him because he was whipping in, in swinging corners underneath the goalkeeper, was a set-piece threat. Uh, his range of passing was really good. He wasn't as good as that on Saturday, but he certainly wasn't the worst of a, of, of a bad bunch. I thought first half, he was one of their better players. He, he kept showing for the ball, showed a bravery in what is a, a really difficult position. Um, some things worked, some things didn't. But it's his second league appearance, senior league appearance. And, he, you know, you have to have a little bit of grace there. And they need him again on Tuesday night because Dezel's still suspended. The midfielders are down. That's just terrible man management to, to, to kind of talk about him publicly like that. If there's some issues with a young player, that things that you want to see him do better, talk about those privately, but big him up in public. Mm. Uh, it's an easy one. That's, mm. That was That was a... That was a free hit at giving a young player a little bit of a confidence boost in, in public. You don't have to go overboard with it, but just say some nice things. Certainly, you don't need to go as, as negative as he did. No, it's almost a case of it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Because the tone, I think, ignore the words, the tone of it was he's a good young player, but he's got a lot more to learn. Absolutely fine with that. But the the way of saying it just wasn't wasn't great wasn't great at all and like you say he's going to be needed going forward um let's draw a line under under well, a my, yeah i mean my issue with it sorry just to add one more point is that senior the senior players haven't i can't remember the last time that paul lambert spoke about that way about some of his senior players and the senior players are the ones that need to step up now we mentioned sears and judge and um others like that that are, that are not hitting their own high standards at the moment. But Paul's been quite happy to talk about Luke Wolfenden during pre-season, who slightly strange that he's he's not in the team at the moment when he's a player under a long-term contract, a real asset, financial asset to the club. We had the whole issue with, with Dobra and El Mazzuni not, not earning the right to be in the, in the squad photo during the season. It just feels like young players, to me, can be easy targets in these situations. That's how it feels to me. And I, I just don't think it's... If you look at modern man managers now, this whole kind of you've got to earn the right and you've got to... I know young players have got... You've got to keep their feet grounded and stuff like that. But if you look at Klopp and Guardiola and people like that, they're, 
they're modern day father figures that know how to push the buttons of of young men these days and to get the best out of them and when to put an arm around and stuff and i just don't feel like Lambert's doing that with the young players at the moment and the young players if Ipswich are going to get out of this cycle that they're in at the moment with the lack of funds and everything then we know that the academy and producing from within is the only way they're going to do it and right now is is Lambert going to be the one to to get this crop of young players blossoming and you'd have to question that at this Mm. moment in time. I think that's a podcast in itself isn't it? This whole Probably. this this whole topic, um, we maybe maybe we should come back to that another day in in a significant depth. But we'll we'll draw a line under Shrewsbury at this point, and I'm going to hand the reins over to Mr. Ross, who is gonna he's gonna do something. Yes, it's time for Mark's big question, but by yours truly, Ross Halls. So let's drop the jingle. Mark's big question, 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 question. All right, lads, I was um, saying someone called the police after the game because we robbed all three points. And that made me think about heist films. Um, So the question is your favourite heist film or series? Because there's that money heist on Netflix, which is pretty good, but it's, um, it's dubbed. I don't like dubbed things, you know, where people, you know, just English, it's English voices, but it's actually a foreign TV show. But anyway, another story for another day. Um, so, yeah, heist films, are you a fan of them? None of that foreign muck, please. In- English TV for me. No, I don't um, mind foreign TV, but just don't dub it with English voices because it just, it just looks stupid. But anyway, go. I've not seen it. I can't comment. But my favourite... I would say my favourite heist film is Reservoir Dogs, mm. which the the heist you don't really see it particularly, but it is there, and the whole thing is centred around a centred around a heist that that goes wrong, and um, it's a film I've watched a lot. I think I I think I had to analyse it in significant depth for an A level, and um, managed to come out the other side still really liking it. So I, I'll put that down as a success. Cool. You got any to do? Um, heist films. The Italian Job. Classic. You're only supposed to blow the bloody dolls off. That's un- <laughs> that's an uncanny Michael Caine. No. Um, Ocean's Eleven seems a bit obvious. Mm. Uh, is would you consider Drive a heist film? I haven't seen Drive. It's a good film. Yeah. Is he is he a driver after a heist? I can't. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. I've just googled heist films while we're talking, and Drive has appeared on un, un, under list of posters. I know it's a film I like, but I'm now starting to question the uh, the storyline no, um, to it. He's the heist like getaway driver. He's the getaway driver, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Good chat, fellas. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Ross, bail me out here. Uh, There's another film called Baby Driver, which is pretty good. It's got a good soundtrack, and uh, Edgar Wright directs it, who's the man behind Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. So, yeah, good film. 
just don't mention Kevin Spacey because he, he features in it. But carry move on. <laughs> Not really allowed to talk about Kevin Spacey, are we? No. Um, I am currently rewatching House of Cards, and I feel I feel quite <laughs> bad. I feel quite bad for doing it, but I, I won't lie. I still think it's really good. So I'm not. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stop. Do you have anything else to add, Ross, to your to your segment before we um before we move on to the whole game? Um, I don't see us stilling all three points against Hull. So yeah, move on. Perfect. Uh, let, what, the king, the king of the segue has been crowned. Mark's been replaced. Um, Hull, the leaders, come to Portman Road. Um, have, Ipswich having seen off a team who were twenty second in League One. Now the leaders come, and this is this could go. These games against Hull and then Charlton will go some way to deciding which way the tide of opinion goes. Because I think I, I know I certainly have been waiting to for Paul Lambert and his team to answer questions. Can you can you right the wrongs of last season? And one of those major wrongs was not being able to beat promotion rivals. They they couldn't do it quite simply last season. Um, I've got the stats here if you want them. Hit, hit me. Of the, of the 10 teams that finished above them, the record was 1-2 and they were quite early in the season. That was away at Fleetwood and away at Gillingham. Uh, I'm, str- I'm in... struggling to count that Gillingham one as being mm. that that that, is, that seems even more fringy to me. But yeah. yeah, it's pretty damning, isn't it? So of of those two wins, they were both early. I think they were both August August September time, and one of them's Gillingham, and then it's drawn eight, lost eight against the teams that finished above them, and that's kind of bled into this season a little bit so far. And they've lost at Lincoln, who are currently sixth, and they've lost at Sunderland, who are who are currently eighth. So. Um, whether you chuck the Portsmouth game in there as well, who they've obviously lost to in the cup, I know that was a a much changed side. But um, yes, I think un- until they win one of these types of games, uh, there- there's still going to be a lot of question marks hanging about. Mm. What do we make of Hull? I'll be honest, I've I've seen a little bit of Hull, and but a lot of it was in a four-one thumping that they had. I think it was four-one at at Fleetwood. It proves they can be beaten. What do we make of what do we make of Hull and also Ipswich's chances? You've kind of alluded to it a little bit already, Ross, that you're not um you're not feeling particularly particularly confident about this one. No. Uh they beat MK Don's three one on the weekend, which is a good result. Um, you know, good old John Watson, who does the game day extra time, his dad is a season ticket holder at Hull, so he's watched all their games and Apparently, he said they're not actually that very good, but uh, they're top of the league, so they must be somewhat doing okay. Of course, they've got Josh Emmanuel playing right back for them, so he'll be returning to town. Um, they've got a few good you know, young players. They've still got a few of their players that they had last year. So, you know, uh, they've got um, what's his face? I've got his face. What's his name? McGuinness up front. Northern yeah, not big Northern Irish striker. Right yeah, up. so he will probably you know test our defence out. Um, I've also got another striker called Keen Lewis Potter. He's a person I signed on my Sligo Rovers career mode. If you wanted to know back in <laughs> FIFA twenty, um, I did. I did want to know that. So yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, um, they haven't got because um, last time we played Hull, of course, was in the Championship, and um, that Polish guy scored two goals against us, didn't he? Grzycki. Yeah, that's that's the one, um, but they haven't got him now. So yeah, someone else is going to step up and probably yeah. score twice. 
There's a fair few. There's a fair few players have gone, haven't they? Like um, Jackson Irvine and, and players like that. But they've got some good players, sort of good ball players in midfield in Honeyman and and Richie Smallwood as well. Adelican is another one that we've we've seen before. Um, Daniel Batty as well. Um, I don't know if he's a relation to, of David's. I'm going to say no, disappointedly. But um, no, I think I have looked that up before. Can we just say yes? Yeah. David's David's boy Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in midfield. Um let's talk about these fullbacks. Two Ipswich Town cast offs. Let's call them cast offs. Josh Josh Emmanuel, who at times he looks the embodiment of an athlete. He and he showed some really good signs very early in his Ipswich career, but spent a lot of time out on loan. Callum Elder at left back, um Aloney that we didn't didn't see an awful lot of in the end, but by all accounts, Stu, they are um, they're doing the business. It's probably a sign of where Ipswich are at at the moment because they're both players that when they left, I don't think there was too much of an, an outcry. There was a sense that Josh Emmanuel probably hadn't kicked on as much as people had hoped. There was always a discussion that as good as an athlete as he was and Going forward, he was he was strong and powerful. There was always a few question marks about his positional sense defensively at right back. Callum Elder, hard to judge him because he came in midway through that that relegation season, but he made a few mistakes in there and probably hadn't done quite enough to to kind of convince people that the Ipswich should sort of go out and get him permanently. But um, here they are, two of very much the key players in, in the whole side that sits top of the League One table mm. at the moment. And as well as Chambers and Ward have done at the start of this season, they're not the long-term solution at, at 35 years of age at both of them, are they? And Emmanuel and Elder of, of decent ages that will that could go on and, and get their careers very much uh, well on track again. I think both of them got assists at the weekend. So um, it will be interesting to see what they're like back at Portman mm. Road. Be beware the flying fullbacks. Um, what about this Ipswich team? In many ways, it's going to pick itself, but also some some decisions to make. I think it's probably worth discussing Luke Wolfenden at this point. If there's a route, if well, if we think a there should be, and b if there is a route back into the starting eleven, and then the makeup of the midfield and the and then the forward areas as well. I, I guess the midfield is kind of kind of picks itself. Would you say? Sadly. Yeah, there's no other people really to put there, is there? Only if you want to put more players out of position, possibly. Um, I know I've said this before. Like, would would Lambert change the system just for one game, just to play two up front? Because now we've got so many injuries in midfield. Maybe you can't play as many midfielders. Why not play Norwood and Jackson together and see how that goes? And then Lancaster on the on the wing. And Judge, unfortunately, on the wing or no Sears on left wing, and then midfield Brett McGavin and Hughes. It would it would surprise me. Mm. It would really surprise me if he did, but I'm, I don't necessarily think it's the worst idea in the world. Yeah. The, just the way that you hear Paul talking about this system. I asked him at I asked him prior to the game at the weekend whether there was a way of getting two of his fit strikers into the starting eleven, and he he looked me kind of straight in the eye via, via a webcam, and was like and was like no. No, not in this system. It, it feels like he's pretty wedded to it. Do you think, Stu, or do you think we could see something different? I think he's firmly, firmly wedded to this. I think he made his mind up in the summer that that's the way they're going to go. Um, 
it sounds like even throughout all the age groups, the the coaches have been told in no uncertain you know terms that you play four three three and you do not waver from that. So I'd be surprised, but I don't think it's from what Ross has just said. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. I think Jackson plays better with a strike partner. I'd be I'd be interested to see what Hawkins is like in a, in a two. So you know, someone that's you've got the physical option and then a and then a pace option alongside him. You're short of central midfielders at the moment. Sometimes it's needs must, isn't it? But um, I I can't see it happening to be honest. So the Ipswich midfield are we are we thinking McGavin, Hughes, and and Lancaster? Is that is that the three that we that we think, or do you think Judge could move into the middle? That's the only other option, isn't it? Um, to move Judge inside, or Dobra comes from nowhere and plays as as a ten, but I'm sure he'll come into the squad. But I can't see him going straight into the into the lineup. So um, probably will be the midfield that that finished the game on Saturday. You would imagine. Yeah, and then and then wide areas maybe maybe that's an area to look to change. We've seen Keenan Bennett's twice from the start in two cup competitions, and I'll be honest, he's looked a brighter spark from the bench than he has as a starter so far. But he's not had a, a chance of of going for that in uh, in League One. Ross, would you um, would you consider some changes on the flanks? I guess we've talked about Bennett's and even Dobra coming in wide Lancaster could move wide if judge went in the middle what, what would you what would you do assuming that we're sticking with this um kind of 4-3-3 I'd like a natural winger Keenan Bennett's is a natural winger the judge is not a natural winger Sears isn't a natural winger you know unfortunately Sears was just chucked out on the left wing by Mick McCarthy and you know Paul Lambert's followed suit um so I think you really need at least one natural winger to play there once again, Jackson could go on the wing. We've spoken about that before. Maybe he could possibly go on the wing and then Norwood up front and then Bennett's on the left. I wouldn't mind seeing that, possibly. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see it though. No, I think, no. I think, I think we'd, um, I think we'd all like to have a little look at it, just, mm. just, just to, just to see. But it doesn't sound like that's that's going to be one they go for. I, I think I'd maybe, I'd, if fit enough, I think I'd go with Norwood through the middle though, mm-hmm. for, for this game. Yeah. Yeah, he's looked um, he's looked lively in the couple of times we've seen him sort of post comeback from these these latest injury problems, hasn't he? And I think he adds a bit of aggression, a bit of um, bit of leadership in terms of sort of leading by example. Um, so yeah, I, I hope the only the only positives that I'm keep kind of going to at the moment is that things could turn for Ipswich with a fully fit and firing Downs in midfield and Norwood up front. I think those two could make a huge difference. I know people will say, what about Vincent Young? I'm I'm slowly coming at peace with the fact that the less we hear about Vincent Young's time frame isn't great for me. And I think, you know, it's going to be, could be another month before he's back, another month before he's up to speed. The season, I, I think, the narrative is written by then, but I think Downs and, and Norwood, hopefully, you know, Norwood is obviously sort of back on the, on the fringes of it now. Downs hopefully can, can get back and going again. And those two could make a real difference to the, to the mm. balance of this side. Um, and, I, and while we're talking about team selection, Andy, you, you, we were talking about the back makeup of the back four and Wolfenden coming in. You, you had a little theory as to what, what you might go with as a back four. Let me try and remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did. This was as we were walking around 
the back of the north stand in the pitch black, wasn't it, the other night? Oh, poor, it's, it's maybe a bit drastic, but dare I say it, I might even, I'd, I'd fancy a back four of Danassian, Chambers, Wolfenden, Ward. Oh. It's, it's drastic. Um, it's drastic. Maybe, maybe, maybe you even would call that rash to uh, suddenly drop your two, your two centre halves, but um, wouldn't devastate me if you, if if that was what they ultimately went with. But I, I would be surprised if if Wolfenden doesn't come back into this side. Do you think, Ross? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I feel I do feel sorry for Janoy sometimes. He's, he doesn't even get into the eighteen, does he? Doesn't get you know he plays a full night against Portsmouth. Does okay. He's not even in the eighteen. Kenlock gets chucked there and still make him travel though. He's still yeah. um he's still sitting in all these away grounds with his hood up and um not involved. No, I would look, I, I think he's he's fully aware of where he where he sits in the, the pecking order and the standing of things. I, I I think he's quite a realist about that. But you know what? I wouldn't I wouldn't be against that back four that I that I just oh, yeah. mentioned. I it being probably being a bit more sensible about it, I would probably go with. I probably would go with Chambers at right back, and then maybe Wolfenden and Ciala and uh, and Ward. That's that's probably what I would look at doing. But um, yeah. we shall see. Uh, just to, to finish with, before we get to any kind of predictions, can either of you offer me any kind of positivity regarding this game against Hull City? Because I think we probably painted a pretty negative. Negative picture over the last fifty minutes or so, but hit hit me with some positives about why and how Ipswich Town might be able to beat Hull tomorrow night, and then you can go to your prediction after that. Doesn't have to be a positive prediction. Uh, anyone, anyone. Hull have lost four one at Fleetwood, as mentioned earlier, so they're not they're not invincible. I don't think. Anyone, by all accounts, I was speaking to a few other reporters, League One reporters over the weekend, and the picture I'm getting painted is very much what Mr. Jimmy Walker opined uh, on on Twitter recently, that this is a very average League One division this year. Um, even Peterborough, who are second, by all accounts, I mean, their results have, have tailed off, and it sounds like theirs was a tale of not playing as well as results suggested uh, at the start of the season, and that they're probably missing even Tony more than that they expected. And you, you can go. I mean, we've seen Sunderland with our own eyes. I didn't think they were anything special at all. Um, and you could probably go through a few of them like that. You know, Portsmouth put out their full strength side, and Ipswich's kind of weakened team gave gave them a decent game recently. So, yes, Hull are top, but. Um, that's not to say that we should be sort of in, in awe of Hull coming to Portman Road. Um, maybe they, they they might look at Ipswich's performance at the weekend and uh, hopefully they'll they'll be caught by surprise of a, a of a much improved performance because surely Ipswich can't be as uh, as poor as they were. And I, and I think it will be a completely different game as well. Hull will come here and, and try and play and not not sort of uh, put people behind the ball and and that could. And there's a big, there's a, there's a lot of heavy lifting being done by the word "could" here. Could play into, uh, could play into Ipswich's hands a little bit more, but um, yeah, we'll see. What's your prediction then? We always finish with these. 
doesn't it doesn't have to be in keeping with the positivity I've demanded from you. I want I want some realism. Uh, I'll be honest. I, d- I don't know if I necessarily believed every word that just came out of my mouth just then. It's it's hard not to uh, it's hard not to be pessimistic going into this, mainly because of the injuries as well. Um, I think I think they'll lose two uh, nil. Ross Halls. Mm. Now we've already beaten a relegated championship side this year against Wigan. I know they were in absolute mess um, and whole city are in a different scenario, but they, they did finish 24th in the championship like we did the year before. Um, but yeah, I don't see us getting a win in this game, but I'm going to be positive. I'm going to go for a draw. I think we're going to keep our home form undefeated. I'm going to go for a Desmond. Why not? Goals, why not? Desmond two two. I was also going to say a draw, but I think there's an element of um, there's an element of forced positivity coming coming out of my mouth at the moment. But I no, I I think they can get a draw out of this, and I think it I think it may end one one, which will again leave all of the questions largely unanswered, and we roll over to Saturday against Charlton. Right, I think that is enough, lads. Let's draw a line under this one. Um, all that's left to say is. Thanks for listening. Um, if you are listening but haven't subscribed, please do so on all your all your podcast providers. And I'm going to read all of them out. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, CastBox, Deezer, iHeart, Geo7, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, Radio Public. Shout out anyone listening on Geo7 this week. Um, so from me, Stuart... And Ross will uh, will speak to you later in the week. From true crime to football, Brexit to football. For more great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon. Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon.